Hey there, Pastor Dave Berkey with the Allenwood Church. Thank you for joining us today. I hope that you are blessed by the message. Remember, you can find every next step at allenwood.church. You can submit a prayer request there. You can send us a message. You can support the ministry. I hope and pray that the Word of God meets you in a real, impactful way today. Enjoy. As you are getting comfortable there, if you're with us for the first time, we are teaching through the Gospels chronologically, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We are uh, very much reliant upon and believe in the uh, inerrancy of the scripture. And so the Bibles in your pews in front of you, I would highly encourage you to pull out and to open up. And if you don't have a Bible at home, to take that home with you. We want you to have it. Uh, that's how important it is for us. We believe that uh, this is one of those things that we take for granted in our country. Many of us have many of these on our shelves and, uh, and yet what is within them is what is able to actually produce what nothing else is able to do, and that is the change of who we are in our inner being, true, genuine, real, complete change. And so uh, we are following the life of Jesus. The Gospels literally means good news. It follows the good news of Jesus Christ, that up until Jesus Christ's coming, Man had to find a way to get to God because of our separation from him. There was no way of even coming close to being able to earn heaven or any part of goodness that we still are not able to do so, but that Christ earned that for us. And so by believing in salvation by grace through faith alone, that Christ himself is the one that has made a way for us to be able to come boldly into the throne room of grace, that our God is so holy and perfect that in our sin, without a mediator, we are in judgment of immediate death. That's how serious sin is. And unless that is dealt with, there is no moving on into eternity or any kind of closeness or relationship in that matter with God. That being said, the life of Christ is very important to us because we believe that it is literally the example of God incarnate, that Jesus is 100% man and 100% God. Jesus, on many occasions, promises and reveals to his disciples and all those that he speaks to over and over again, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Uh, those questions always come up. And so we are looking to Christ, we are listening to Christ to hear from him as God, the one that created us and knit us together in our mother's womb. So the word of God is very important to us. We go verse by verse and we are in this place where Jesus talks and shares the first parable to his disciples. Parable was a way in which of telling stories or truths that would be done in such a manner that it would be uh, placed side by side. That parable literally means side by side. So you have a physical truth that would be well known to anyone that would hear it, but it would mirror a spiritual truth that the Bible and Jesus even in between says that only those who have eyes to see and ears to hear are able to fully understand. He makes known the spiritual truths that are in line with or side by side, the physical truths only to those that are coming to God through him as the Lord and mediator and savior. So the interpretation is from Jesus, and the way in which we're able to see these things or understand them is because God allows us to. So once again, there's this unbelievable amount um, of urgency and importance. I had a conversation with somebody 
uh, this week that has been trying to get in touch with me. Um, uh, our, our phone in the office used to forward to an old phone number and it's been whatever. So for many reasons, it's been a month or two, she and her fiance were looking for a place to get married. And this is always a touchy subject, so the easiest way for me is just to say, well, I only marry people who are part of our congregation because of the ways of the world today. You never know what you're getting or how you deal with those things, but I never want to shut it down at that because you don't know if the Lord's drawing someone's heart to themselves. And it was just one more of those instances where it seems like more and more I'm hearing and talking to many people who believe in God. God is very important to them. He's an important part of their life. They want to get married in a church because church is very important to them, except they only go to church, you know, three or four times a year. And so I'm able to kind of probe and ask those kinds of questions that then I eventually lead into this place of, well, if you believe that God is very important to you, but there's not much that you know about him, you've only heard about him secondhand, if there is an opportunity or there is a way for you to know more about God, wouldn't you want that instead? And I like to use the analogy of, you know, if, if a woman in the church would love to get to know my wife, right? Pastor Dave's wife, Laura. She's a wonderful woman, by the way. But um, <laughs> let's just say, and I said, you know what? She's very busy, but I'll tell you all about her. Would you settle for that? No. I'd keep her in a little corner somewhere and say, you know what? I'll tell you all about Laura. Do you trust me? You don't trust me? My wife, she doesn't even trust me. But I want you to think about that. The word of God is such where you are able to go directly to the source. Protestantism, the, the Christian faith, is a, the core of the translation of the scripture into modern language that you are literally able to open the Bible. And the Bible says that through the discernment of the Holy Spirit, you are able to meet directly with God. That my gift of preaching is not necessary for you to come in terms with or to meet with or understand God. Just that concept, if you have this understanding of who God is, but you've always gotten it secondhand from other people's fruit. We're going to talk a lot about fruit today. The Bible actually calls us forth. God calls you forth to be the one to produce your own fruit, your own relationship with him. And so that is where... I would encourage you, if you yourself are there, to say that you know God and religion is important to you, but to not know much about this that is our main testimony of who God is, I would bring to you that you might just know him through someone or some other mediator, and you're missing out. Now, that being said, Jesus begins with this parable he starts to speak to the masses and he talks about a seed being sown. We're in our third or fourth week in talking about this parable and that seed falls on four different types of soil. We've talked about the first two types of soil that that seed falls upon. The first is by the wayside. We talked about how it's compacted soil. It's dirt, but in that period of time, harvesting was very important. If you weren't able to produce a harvest, you couldn't eat. It was agricultural land, right? That was your sustainment the way that you, um, that you expanded your territory was to have more land to farm because the more produce you could, right? Hence all of these things. But you still were moving on foot. And so instead of trampling wherever, game paths, if you will, um, were established. They were consistent paths that people walked on. And as they walked on them, they compacted them down. Seed fell on them, didn't really have any root. It's still, it's still ground, 
but it wasn't prepared in a way in which to be able to receive the seed. The Bible says that the birds came, they snatched it away. Jesus says that's like Satan coming to someone who hears the word, but it immediately is taken away from them. It produces no even chance of producing fruit. The second one last week was a seed that fell among the rocks or stony ground. And in this stony ground, it had a place to settle. The birds weren't able to get to it. The rain came, it sprang up real quick, real quick a lot faster and a lot more abundantly than the ground in the main soil. It actually looks like it's going to be the best harvest of all, but very quickly that dies and it produces absolutely nothing because the roots aren't able to sink in. We talked about yesterday, uh, last Sunday about the stones killing the root. Today, we're gonna talk about the thorns and the thorns don't destroy the root, the thorns destroy the fruit. Thorns will destroy the fruit. So this parable is found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John does not record the parable. Because of Matthew, Mark, and Luke recording the parable, you have three different perspectives. You have three different variations. And that's a beautiful thing for us because you can kind of put them all together and it becomes much clearer what Jesus is speaking about. So I'm going to use these passages. There's many more things in between. You can catch up with the older sermons online as we've sort of been filling in and we will continue to finalize the entire parable. But specifically today, we're gonna to look at the soil that is prepared, but it is prepared and the seed is sown alongside of thorns that also grow up with it and the detriment to the plants that grow up among thorns. Matthew 13, verses seven and 22. And some fell among thorns and the thorns sprang up and they choked them, Jesus says. When he's speaking to his disciples, they say, Jesus, what do you mean by this? What, is this? what does this have anything to do with? And in verse 22 in our scripture of Matthew 13, now he who had received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. Mark 4, verse 7, and then 18 and 19. Verse 7, the initial, Jesus' initial to the masses, and some fell among thorns. The thorns grew up, and they choked it, and it yielded no crop. Another word of saying fruitful, fruitless. Verses 18 and 19, now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word, and the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. And then Luke chapter eight, verses seven and verse 14, verse seven, and it fell among thorns and the thorns sprang up with it and they choked it. Verse 14, the ones that fell among the thorns are those who when they have heard, they go out and are choked with cares, riches and pleasures of life and they bring no fruit to maturity. Now we're looking at this parable. We've brought into this perspective over the past couple of weeks that Jesus is really talking about the hearts of men and women. And the heart is like the ground of a garden that is intended for the production of a harvest. You plant seeds to be able to grow plants and the end of that plant hopefully is fruit. That's where we get fruition. It's the completion of the plant. If a plant doesn't produce what it's supposed to produce, then what's the point in growing the plant? There really is none. The, the reason, the intent of planting a seed and growing a plant is so that you can harvest the fruit. We've been trying to grow a fig tree for what, six years now, I think? And every year the thing gets bigger and it looks greener and fuller. And every year, every time I get close to it, 
There are no figs on the thing. And at some point, maybe this year, I'm just gonna chop it at the root because there's no, it's just taking up room in my garden. It's taking up room in my garden. Now I want you to think about this. Our hearts are intended. The Bible declares to us in many ways. Jesus relates it. God talks in the Old Testament when he's talking to his people in Israel and he's bringing them out of land. He, he relates the, the, the life and its existence as our humanity and our soul is concerned as our heart. Remember that word heart is the word that's used over a thousand times in the Bible. Of that a thousand times, it really, we get this impression of it being our entire being, our, our mind, our thoughts, our feelings, the, the things that we understand, the things that we don't understand. It's what makes us up, right? That if someone were to get into the darkness of your life and they were able to see transparently, they would be just as confused as you are about yourself, <laughs> right? It's, it's just like the all over the place. The Bible even says, Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. Sometimes it leads us in a great direction and we experience amazing things. And other times it just makes us fall flat out on our face. And Jeremiah is left with this question, who's able to discern it? The Bible says God is able to discern it because God is the one that is able to give us a new heart. And so if you're a Christian, you've received Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Bible says that he's taken your heart of stone and he's given you a heart of flesh. And that heart of flesh in your entire being is being likened to a garden in the parable that Jesus is talking about. And the seed that's being sown is the seed of the word of God. And the word of God can also be related to Jesus himself. So think of God as being the farmer, the seed being sown is Jesus, him being the word that is living and active, and the word itself being an aspect of that seed that's being sown. As it's being sown, it's falling on three different types of soil, four really, but the third today is the third kind that also is another dangerous kind. Out of four types of soil, there's only one type of soil that really is able to bring a harvest to fruition, to completion, with fruit, which is ultimately the purpose, is it not? If there's no fruit, what's the point in doing anything and attempting to begin the process of the eventual harvest? Jesus declares to us what happens to the seed in the part of the parable that falls on the type of ground that he's speaking about. It's good ground. The word, he says, is received with joy like in other passages. It sinks deep instead of being forced to grow up immediately. It spends some time digging its roots down in. It progresses the way that all seeds are supposed to progress after dying. Life then comes forth out of that death and the roots go down deep in order to get to a place where it's able to sustain its upward growth. We talked about how the rocks destroy that, right? We think that, we think that because there's an immediate jump of joy and harvest that that's the best kind of thing but the reality is there's so much upgrowth that the roots are not able to sustain i always love that quote don't let life take you where your character can't keep you right how many people be are thrown up into positions of authority and and great responsibility and they get there but their character as a man or a woman destroys it completely but then we do have other examples where someone takes the time and the Lord develops them. That's why we talk about eldership as not being a novice. 
You, you, need, you need leaders who have life, who have been tested and tried, who have their roots that have been dug deep in the soil. And this seed that Jesus is talking about today has done that. I believe that there are many in the church that this really is one of the most relatable types of harvest or, or plant production that actually happens. That we have deep roots. We have had years and generations of Bible studies because of the freedoms in our country. And they look really good and the ground has been tilled and we have amazing leaders in the faith. I mean, think about all the books that we have all the theologians that have written commentaries and dedicated their entire lives to, to, um, to translating different languages and always working in proper translations and writing books and thought processes on every... I mean, I have this, this software program that I use as a pastor and every year they come out with a new version and every year's version has thousands and thousands more books. All in theology. All in the study of God and who God is. Are we, the, the abundance of our country and the freedom has enabled this amazing root system to go deep and it's beginning to, to kind of be up in this place, but there's still a danger. And it's a danger that's not just new to us. It wasn't just new in Jesus's time. It is a danger that was very well aware and around and it is a danger that you and I have to think about being careful of today ourselves and that danger is that the seed that falls on the good ground and it begins to grow up it grows up next to thorns a thorn doesn't have any fruit it is no good for a plant uh, my my family used to uh, used to grow corn and the thorns would love the corn because as the corn would grow, the thorns would wrap themselves around the corn to get up and out and closer to the, to the sunlight. And so you would actually have this period of time where it would grow up and all of a sudden you'd realize that stalk is still there and it's the same height as all of the other stalks of corn, except that one didn't have any corn on it because it was so choked. It was so, it was so much in competition with the thorn that was using it to climb up with, that there was no point in the stalk. It doesn't produce any ears of corn. It's among a whole, among a whole, a whole bunch of other ones, but it was choked. That's what Jesus is talking about here. There's this choking that happens with thorns that are left to grow up around the other kinds of fruit. And to his disciples, to us, Jesus gives us clarity in what he's really talking about. He says that this thorn, these Thorns that Jesus is specifically talking about represent four different things, and we get those four different things because of what we read in Matthew, Mark, Luke. And the three, the four things that I pulled together, the first one is the cares of this world, the second one is the deceitfulness of riches, the third one is the desire for other things, and the fourth is the pleasure of life. Now I know that none of us in here deal with any of these things. So you can just listen and be fine with where we are. One of the things we talked about in coming here is the importance of evaluating the state of the soil of our hearts. And in that evaluation, it's possible to have places in our heart that are like the wayside. And it's possible to have places in our hearts that are like the stony ground. And it's possible to have places in our heart that are like 
these thorns being brought up alongside of the plants or the harvest that is, that is coming hopefully to fruition. So I wanted to talk about a couple of these things. We'll use some scriptures to balance them off. The cares of this world first. Luke 10, 38 to 42. Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Will you tell her to help me? Jesus then answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but only one is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. I believe this is one of the clearest pictures. There are many others, but this is the one that I picked for you today. Mary was being choked out because of cares and concerns in her house and the physical world around her that she couldn't see that her Messiah was sitting right in front of her in her home. She couldn't discern between what was most important to him and what was most important to her. Martha got it right. The one thing. The one thing. The deceitfulness of riches. Hebrews 3.13. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, unless any of you have been hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. We've talked about this a lot, that the, the danger of sin is not that it's some outright nasty thing all the time. It's deceitful. Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. It looks and appears to be the right thing, but at its core, it is not. It's the twisting of good. So it has an appearance of good, but it's really bad. It's deceitful. It's trickery. Luke 18, 18 to 27, now a certain ruler asked him saying, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit life? Jesus says to him, why, you, why do you call me good? No one is good but one. That is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not be a bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And he said, all of these things I have kept from my youth. So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that he became very sorrowful, he said, how hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, who then can be saved? But he said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. What's happening? Jesus is declaring to this rich young ruler that the deceitfulness of riches have deceived him into thinking that his possessions, the things that he had, the great amount of things that he had were in the way of him fully possessing Jesus. It was a thorn. Now, we've talked before, this doesn't mean that all riches are bad and all of us need to sell everything and give everything to the poor. There are many churches that teach that. I could stand up here and say, you're not serving your pastor well enough. And so if you have more than $60,000 to make a year, then you should sell half of it. And that's not what he's saying here. It's the deceitfulness of what we have. It's the not being able to utilize it and treasure the most valuable thing above the lesser. What is a thorn and what is the plant? See, this rich young ruler had had some production in his life of believing in God. 
The problem is that production wasn't able to lead to fruition because it was choked out before it actually fulfilled its purpose. And it was choked out by the deceitfulness of riches. First Timothy 6, 9 to, 9 to 10. We're talking about eldership here. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. How many people have you heard, maybe you have fallen for this yourself, that have a great skill, whether they're gonna be a baseball player or they're gonna be a, you know, a famous artist and when they get the millions, they'll be able to help people. It's funny, but the reality is we have those same thoughts. I know at some point, all of you have wondered, if I won the lottery, I would give half of it to the church, Lord. Right? The, what we're really saying is when that comes into fruition, I'll give the fruit. But we're really deceived in thinking that the thorns are going to produce some kind of fruit that matters to us. The two are competing. And, and, what's, and what's, really being, what's really being talked about is this, it, it, there's not, it's not the love of riches. You need, money is important for us. We need to be able to survive and to live. But the love of money distracts us and chokes our lives out from what we're really intended to produce. It doesn't allow us to bring it into fruition because of the cares and the concerns and the, and the, and the, and the desire and of these riches and these other things. And he even says, don't allow an elder to come into that role if he has any kind of a desire to be rich. The real question that I like to ask myself, because I wrestle with all these things too, you think I'm not being tempted by it and I don't deal with these things on a consistent basis as well. But I always ask myself, why am I not doing what I say I'm going to do if I were to have that then, now? What's, what's going on in my heart to where I think that I need more in order to actually start doing that, yeah. right? It's why uh, one of the ways we try to raise up deacons is if you're serving here in the church, there's a level of anticipation that you're not gonna just be called a deacon, a servant, and then we'll expect you to start serving, right? When we evaluate who is a deacon, it's are they serving the body already? If they're serving the body already, then they're raised up into the position. It's the same question we can ask ourselves in all of these areas. If I'm waiting for some fruit to happen, why am I not doing that thing that I say I'm gonna do when that fruit comes now? Most of the time, it's because we're being choked out with cares and concerns and we're not really actually getting all the nutrients that we need. And then uh, the last one, 1 Timothy 6, 17. Command those who are rich. There's not always condemnation. It's not if you're rich, sell all of your goods and become poor. Command those who are rich in this present age to not be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. This is the, it is really hard to have a great amount of possessions and be head over heels in love with the giver over those things that we've been given. Many times, if our character is not right, riches and the things that we think we want can be more damaging and destructive to us than we could ever imagine. 
When we have them and our character is in that place and our garden is abundantly fruitful, the overflow of that sometimes is finances. But a lot of times it's not. A lot of the church history, many, many of those that have made massive impacts in, in the faith and our amazing testimony for us, their lives were marred by anything opposite of health, wealth, and prosperity. We love the Old Testament. We love David and King Solomon. And doesn't God want that for me now? Yes, I'm sure that God wants that. But God will never want and desire that more for us than he does for the fruit of the things that we do have in front of us, that he cares most about, the things that are eternal, not here earthly. And the only way to be able to deal with those things well is if our spiritual hearts, our spiritual possessions are withheld in a manner that's able to honor and glorify God, and then we do well with the physical, or else, by God's mercy, for the most part, he's probably sparing most of us because he knows. He knows. You think you, you want more fruit now? And the way to get more fruit is by having more money? It's the opposite. It's the very opposite. And then there's this desire for other things in the pleasure of life. Luke 9, 57 to 62, Jesus is calling people. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. If Jesus was here right now, I would be sitting down, listening to every word, and we all could stand up and say, Jesus, we are following you. And he goes, okay, we're going to walk to Asbury Park today. And you're going to go, well, I have lunch plans. <laughs> and it's really cold and it's snowing. We'll follow you wherever we go. And Jesus says to him, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Really? Do you know where I'm headed? Do you know what a life surrendered to me in this present evil age is going to look like? They hate me. They're going to hang me on a cross. You really want to follow me there? That's what's promised in this life. You will be persecuted. Blessed. In fact, when you're persecuted, that's when I'm going to call you blessed. What? Wait a minute. What about the abundance? I thought, I thought you wanted me to have all of these things. Then he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. You go and sow seeds. And another said, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me go and bid them farewell who are at my house. Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. You will not come and follow me if you are distracted immediately and chase after those things. They will choke you out until you have nothing left to fight with and no fruit will be produced. The pleasures of life, Luke 12, 15. And he said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of things that he possesses. How much stuff do you have? I'm doing a podcast called Christian Minimalism. I'm helping to redefine the word minimalism because I believe that it's a, it's a Christian principle that we have more of an example of this cherishing of one thing. We're called to cherish and love and fully have this abundance of display and desire for God alone and everything else should be of the wayside. And minimalism is this worldly idea of figuring out what brings us most joy and getting rid of everything else. But Christian minimalism is realizing that the abundance of things is only going to distract us from the main thing that will really fill us and satisfy us. And so I started this process and the podcast is just me talking about things that I'm going through. And it's been a long couple of weeks. 
One of the places that I've realized I have an abundance of things is in my email. I have an email address that was 13 years old. Got it before I got married. How many emails do you think that I found in it yesterday? I spent 50 bucks. I bought this really cool program that helps me to clean out my emails, helps you to organize things, right? It took a day for it to go through my emails for me to then go back in. I came in the next morning. How many emails do you think I had? 22,350 emails. 22,000. And you know what happened when I went to hit the delete button? Ooh, am I going to need this? I don't know. I think I might need this one day. Lord, if I pull this thorn out, how will the plant be able to sustain itself? I mean, isn't there a place where this is like good for it? Doesn't it help to produce this? I mean, it's keeping the birds away, right? I, maybe I'll need this one day. Think about all the places, the cares, the concerns of the world. Jesus is literally saying to us, if the state of your garden is one that is just so full of weeds and thorns, yeah, you can throw some seed in there and you're gonna have some stuff grow up, but it will never be able to come to fruition. It will never produce fruit because even though it looks like it's going to, it will be choked out by the cares and the concerns of the world around it. It won't be able to. So those couple of things, what do you do, Pastor Dave? What, what, do you, what are we supposed to do? The first thing is take stock of the garden. I think that's most important. And not only take stock of the, garden, of the garden, but what do you really want to bring to fruition in your life? I challenge you to go a little bit further. Get in the word and ask God, what does he really want to produce fruit-wise in your heart and in your life? I can tell you, that his desire is for a fruitful relationship with him. That's always going to be one. Secondary to that is to have a fruitful marriage. Third to that is for you to be a fruitful parent. Where the lives of your children are producing fruit themselves. After that, I'm not really sure. Because I think that's more of an individual thing. We all have different giftings. We all are supposed to be producing things in our life that are gonna be for the betterment of those around us. We need each other. That's where the church comes into play, right? And all these things. But I will tell you one thing. There are places of responsibility that God says, this is a seed that I desire in your life. This is a seed that if you wanna hear me say, well done, good and faithful servant, you will need to produce fruit. That's what he's gonna be checking. Not how deep your root system is and how high the plant was able to grow. Where's the fruit from that thing? And Jesus is literally saying to us, the possessions in this life, the cares of this world, the pleasures of other things will choke out whatever you're trying to plant and they will not allow it to come into fruition, which is that fruiting. We won't be able to blossom, which is the purpose. So what's the purpose? What do we do then? What if I'm looking at my garden at, at the heart of my life, the heart of who I am, and it is just a mess. I left it years ago because I just couldn't deal with how much of an overgrown, destructive mess it was, Pastor Dave. Joshua 23, 13. Oh, not that one. Where's my other one? It's... Four, three, 
Ah, I probably deleted it by accident. Technology. Oh, no, I need it. Jeremiah 4.3. For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, break up your fallow ground and do not sow among the thorns. Break up your fallow ground and do not sow among the thorns. That ground is there. The question is, is it prepared? And there's a preparing that God desires and wants and is able to do for each and every one of us. But after that is prepared and he begins to sow seeds, we have to be careful that maintenance, that consistent thing, that the cares of the world, Jesus is saying, will literally choke out anything that you're trying to do with that plot of land, with that inner being of who you are. There are things that God is expecting to, to experience fruit from. The first fruits are to be a sacrifice to him. If we don't get to the place of producing fruit, you have nothing to offer. Your heart is able to be broken up. And God literally says, break up the fallow ground. And this is hard. This hurts. This hurts. I got rid of my smartphone two weeks ago. I've been on this dumb phone. You know what I was doing with my smartphone? I was numbing my heart. And I had a breakdown Friday morning. The dam just burst open because I had been... You know, I feel things as a person. A part of why I'm a pastor is because I feel for people in ways that I don't, I don't know many other people that feel the way that they do. Things like, like some of the pains that some of you have keep me up at night. That's how I feel things when I'm feeling them properly. And I was numbing that stuff over the past year because I had to stand firm and we had to keep the church open and as everybody's losing people and I'm working through, why am I doing this? And what about the friends that I'm losing and the other pastors, we have so much unity and what's going on here? I know, I'm just not gonna deal with it. I'm gonna hide it. And I, every waking second, and it was just numb, the cares and the concerns of the world. It was like, oh, this is easy. And so I shut that all off and all of a sudden I have all of this quiet in my life. And you know, as a Christian, quiet's not really quiet. Because God gets really vocal when there's not a lot of other noise around. When you get rid of the thorns in your life and you start looking at the crop that's there and you go, oh snap, that thing hasn't had water in a long time. And you go, how much, is, how much of this has to be pruned, God? And he's like, we got to go down to the root. You're like, wait a minute, no, not to the root. It's been years I was developing that. What do you mean down to the root? But he knows that in order to produce fruit, you need to prune to the root sometimes. Yep. <clears throat> you have the ability, you have the responsibility to realize and see the thorns in your life and do whatever it takes to uproot them and get them out of the garden. Even if that means that there's nothing there and you're starting from scratch, that is a better place. That is a better place than one that is grown up and it looks like there's a whole bunch there, but it's all thorns. I promise you. And then you have to go from there and instead of trying to plant every variety of every blueberry push and every, and every tomato plant like I do in the garden every year and I never learn my lesson, start with the majors. Start with your relationship with your spouse. Start with your relationship with your kids. And it's okay to stop there. We went out to see some good friends last night and uh, we, don't, we don't get to see them very often, but he told me I could share a little bit of his story. He, um, 
he was a, he always had a desire to be a worship leader. We went to college with him, so we're around the same age. And long story short, through a series of events in his life, the Lord had them do a, you know, a multitude of other amazing things in their life. Um, but he still has this desire for worship, and he's been hurt along the way. And he's in this place where he's working a really great job, and he's making decent money. He's able to help other people with their money. And he hasn't, their church shut down, so they haven't really even been to church. And, you know, we're just kind of talking, saying how you are. And he's going, I just, I just don't know, like, what God wants me to do. And I'm like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, I just feel responsibility for, for my mom who's in another state and my sister because we didn't have a dad. And, and I feel responsibility for this person and the church and, like, where are all these people? And, and a part of what happens when we have all these thorns going on, sometimes it's just as simple as being so confused that we can't even see clearly, like, what, what does God really care most about? And, and this man and woman and husband and wife, they adopted foster kids at, like, larger ages. At our age, like, they were young when they did this. They went through some crazy stuff, and I'm like, I'm like, just start with the simple. I can promise you, if you get on your knees in the morning when you wake up and say, God, I'm not worrying about anything else but my wife, my kids, and being a good steward of my job right now, I said, you will experience the smile and the light of God like you haven't had in a long time. Get rid of all of the other thorns. God doesn't expect you to hold on to it and do all the sorting. Just figure, even if it's just starting with one little plot of your heart and you go, this is where I know I have to start, God. This is where I know I want you to show me what is this need? What do, what's the soil look like? How much rainwater does it need? Am I overwatering it? Is it underwatering it, Lord? You're the great gardener. I need from you. What is, what is, I want to grow some, fr some fruit. I want to get past this point of really deep roots and half-hearted growth. I want to see fruit, God. Prune what needs to be pruned. Rid of what needs to be rid of. <clears throat> Thorns are great on the walls of your garden to hedge a protection. They're not great inside. You will not go wrong by getting rid of the cares and the concerns of the world, whatever that looks like for you. For me, it was cutting off YouTube and cutting off social media. And I would encourage you, you need to do the same thing. That's your decision. It's between you and Jesus. I'm going to leave with this because it's an Old Testament and we're done. I know that it's really late. I didn't get a lot of time, and I don't like when I'm stripped away from my time. Um, in Numbers, when God is, I'm sorry, in Joshua, so we haven't gotten there yet in our reading plan, but in Joshua, one of the things that God does when he brings his people into new lands is he calls them to clean it. He says, go into the land and wipe it clean so that you will not be defiled. And one of the curses that happens when the people don't do that is this. Ready? Listen. Joshua 23, 13. He says, Know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations from before you. Be and the previous to this is because they had chosen to forsake the Lord and to keep themselves clean from outside forces. He says, But they will be snares and traps to you they will be scourges on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. I don't know that there's anything that could be truer to us and our nation right now. I don't think there are any people that deny the greatness of the land that we're in and the freedoms that we've been given and where we are. 
But I don't think if you're honest with yourself, if you look around at the everyday life, that we haven't done a very good job of taking care of the plot of land that we've been responsible for. And that our hearts probably look a lot more like our nation right now than we would ever really care to admit unless we stop and turn around and take an honest look at the garden of our heart. There's probably a lot more thorns and thistles that are choking out any bit of fruit that God desires of us. And sometimes it means starting from scratch and wiping clean. And God can do that. He wants to do that. And when he does it, there is fruit on the other side. The roots need to go down first. The plant needs to have adequate light. It's got to have growth. It can't be choked out along the way. You got to do what it takes to get it there. And so I would encourage you today, look at your plot of land. If you got thorns, you got stones, you got wayside paths, lay it all to the Lord. Say, here I am, wipe me clean. Show me what's actually here. Allow him to do the pruning work. Next week is, what do we do with good ground? What happens? What do we see? What's God's promise for good, tilled, free of thorns ground? It's an amazing thing. There's only one type of soil out of the four that Jesus points to us as being a good thing. And it's next week. But there's a part here where we have to acknowledge we got some work to do. You're not going to regret throwing the things away. You're not. Your junk drawers, your email lists, your phones, your whatever it takes that is choking out your life, get rid of it. Get rid of it. You will not be able to produce with it around. There will be no fruition, no fruit to completion. And that is what God is going to require of you and I, especially of some main things of stewardship in our life. You got to do what it takes. By the grace of God, with the mercy of God, and the help of God, let him clarify for you and let that stuff grow to abundant fruit. I'm done. I'm way over. Jesus, we look to you and we love you. We thank you, God, that you have all of these analogies for us, that you use these parables to show us in the everyday life the things that we touch and see and experience. And you relate them to our heart, Lord, that thing that science isn't even able to put a handle on and understand fully and grasp, God. But we know that you know that you are able to break our hearts down, that you're able to renew our minds, God. Lord, I pray that you would give clarity and discernment to all in this room this morning of the things around them, that you would, you would show them the nature of the places that have dug deep roots but are being choked out, Lord, and that you would take any bit of fear, any bit of anxiety, any bit of worry, that they would be able to put their gloves on and rip those thorns out and rid of them and not look back, God, that you would, you would allow us to get back into this, this cleanness and this tilling and the gardening process of our life, Lord, that you would be that great pruner and that... Don't forget to check in over at allenwood.church. Send us your prayer requests. Shoot us over a message. Let us know how the Lord's working in your life. Support the ministry in any way that you see fit. Be blessed today. We are praying for you. Walk with Jesus.